I've often spoken about these wise men and the inspiration of their searching. They came from far away with perhaps not a great deal to go on. They invested themselves in a diligent search for this new king. And we might learn something from the way that they went about it. They traveled in company and they asked directions from other people. That's why we do things like an alpha course, so that we don't have to journey alone and remain lost. Not that I would ever hold back from asking directions from people when traveling, obviously. (laughs) Yeah, no, I do. do. Um, But this Christmas, I'd like to do something a little bit different, because the story of these wise men searching for the king is indeed inspiring, and it prompt us to search. But there's another stronger truth for us to consider. And it's something that comes from Jesus' own mouth later in his life when he's grown. You know, we celebrate Christmas in the belief that Jesus is special. And when you think someone's special, it's good to listen to what they have to say about themselves And here's one of the things that Jesus said as an adult. It's in Luke's gospel in chapter 19. He said, for the son of man, by which he meant himself, I, I came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus says, I came to seek and to save the lost. The wise men came seeking Jesus, but when this Jesus grew to adulthood and could explain his existence on this earth, he said, well, I came seeking. And that's the stronger truth. And the deeper truth for us to consider this morning, that whatever seeking we may do, God himself is searching. And he's searching for that which is lost, About 10 days ago, I lost a coat. Um, Now, this is not a coat that I think about all the time. I don't know if you think about your coats. Uh, Maybe some of you do. Maybe some of you are very pleased with the coats that you have. The truth is that it's a good coat, but I don't think about it all the time. And it took me a few days to realize that I'd lost it. Um, At which point, I did my typical looking which is to stand in the hallway where all the pegs are and turn around to the other side where there's some more pegs and not see it immediately. That was my first searching for the coat, which didn't unearth it. Yeah, surprisingly. So I went out of the door that morning with a kind of vague feeling of unease that I wasn't quite sure where this coat was. The next morning, at the same kind of time, Um, I did my next stage of looking, which is to move things a couple of inches uh, on both sides of the hallway and then go out of the door with a slightly increased feeling of unease that I didn't know where my coat was. It took until the next day for me to think, hang on a minute, this is a bit surprising. And I actually looked properly where all of our coats are in our home and uh, didn't find it there. At which point I thought to myself, well, I quite often come to this building 
And it's quite a big building. It's bound to be here. So over the next couple of days, gradually, I went to the various plate hooks and places and backs of chairs that I might have left this coat here. And over a period of four or five days, I gradually came to the realization that it was lost. At which point, I began to think about this coat every day. And sometimes, in consecutive hours, it plagued me that I didn't know where it was. I ended up phoning a cafe, school in North Oxford I'd visited, Tyndale Community School in Cowley. Um, I thought I might have left it by the side of a -a five-a-side football pitch where I'd been playing. I thought of all of these possibilities, and it began to really concern me and become preoccupying for me. This coat, which had never been a focus before of my thinking, once it was lost, began to invade every waking hour. True, it's bothersome. To describe something as lost is to say that it is desired. The loss of this coat uncovered how much I actually wanted it. And so if Jesus describes people as lost, what he's saying is that those people are missed and they are wanted. If you sense yourself in any sense to be lost, it's an echo of God's desire for you, that he misses you, and that he wants you. When Jesus came to seek what was lost, it wasn't a coat, but it was people. Um, I found my coat on Friday. Yeah, it's good. Uh, It was in lost property under a table at the King's School in Whitney. And I was happy. I really was. In this little phrase from Jesus, that he came to seek that which was lost, it tells us how God feels about us. It tells you how God feels about you, that he wants you, that he desires you, enough to look for you. The wise men sought Jesus, but Jesus came seeking people. You know, if you don't know Jesus, then the truth is he feels your absence. He is bothered by your lack of company, and he wants to find you, and he wants to keep you close. Now, in those few words in Luke chapter 19, Jesus said that he came to seek the lost, but he said something else, didn't he? He said, I came to seek and save. Let's go like a search and rescue operation as in this picture, search and rescue, not just seeking, but saving, search and rescue. Rescue is from danger. So what is the danger? The danger that we face is an eternity separated from God. That's the danger. And so a question today, perhaps the most important question is whether you are aware of that danger. A question I could ask is, if you died today, are you certain that you would spend eternity with God? 
If you're not, then there's a danger. There's a significant danger. And that danger is what Jesus also said that he came to deal with. He came to seek the lost, to look for those people whom he desires, and he came to rescue those in danger. Now, of those wise men who brought their gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh, the one that stands out as an odd gift for a newborn baby is myrrh, some myrrh trees. And the reason is because it's a spice that was used to anoint the dead. It was used to offset the stench of a decaying corpse, which makes it an odd gift for a newborn baby. It speaks of death, not new life, which is what you would have thought would be celebrated. Whether the wise men understood this or not, uh, maybe it was just the equivalent of like their goodies from where they came from. You know, like when we take Cadbury's dairy milk to anyone we visit overseas. Who knows why they took myrrh, but we can see a poetic significance in it. Because the truth is that this baby Jesus was born to die. He was born to die. And the presence of myrrh at his birth reminds us that it's not only the life that he lived that was significant, but the manner and the meaning of his death. Christmas, we could say, links with Easter. And Jesus was born to die in order to enable a new connection between ordinary people and almighty God. To enable us to overcome that danger of continuing separation from God. He came to save us from that danger. So how does it work? Well, the Apostle Peter, who lived those years of Jesus' ministry out with him, seeing him day in, day out, said this, wrote this. It's in a letter that he wrote that's in the New Testament. Peter wrote, Christ suffered for you. He committed no sin. No deceit was found in his mouth. And when they hurled their insults at him, he didn't retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live with God by his wounds you have been healed. In these few words, Peter describes a transaction that Jesus came to put into place, that he would suffer the consequences of human failure that we need not do so. That the danger of being separated from God wasn't initiated at God's end, He made us 
to be with him because he desires us. He wants us. He wants us enough to seek out that which was lost. It's not God who initiated a separation, but our actions have put us at a distance from God. And so Jesus steps in to take that consequence of separation from God to set us free from our own mess. God, in Jesus, took on humanity, took on our mess, suffered for it, and now, having tasted death and risen again, he says, let me forgive your mistakes. Let me forgive your mistakes. I desire you, lost one. Here are some more words from Jesus from later in the New Testament, from the book of Revelation, where these words are spoken by Jesus. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. These words describe an experience that is common to a great many people. I wonder, when you pray, when you pray, do you hope that God is listening, but honestly feel like it's talking through a closed door? Something's muffled and uncertain. And you hope someone's listening, but you couldn't say you've ever seen his face or really know what he's like, or be sure that he's heard you? Is your praying like talking through a closed door rather than talking with a friend? If so, these are wonderful words from Jesus. He says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. He wants in. He doesn't want to stay on the other side of a closed door and have a distant connection. He wants in. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person. It's like unhurried time, enjoyment of friendship together. You've probably not seen this picture that's on the screens with these words before, uh, but it was drawn to portray this spiritual reality. And it may well be that for you it actually describes quite well what you experience, that Jesus is kind of there and there's something about his love that matters to you, but it is like he's still somehow on the outside of life. The good news of these words is he's knocking. He's knocking. And even now, I hope, I believe, there'll be a number of people here this morning who who sense that knocking It's like you know that God is, this Christmas, he's drawing close. He's come closer. And you sense his interest in you. You sense that he is actually searching for you. And it's not all about your energy and your diligence and your effort or cleverness or anything that you can do. But it's about him drawing close. And he's knocking If you look closely at this picture, you'll see that it's shown that the handle to this door is on the inside. This picks up on that 
famous painting by Holman Hunt that's at Keewell College. And you may have seen in the city of Jesus knocking on a door that has no handle on the outside. The handle's on the inside. And here in this picture, it's portrayed. The point being, you can open this door. You can open this door. You're not having to wait for some overwhelming experience of God or some sort of philosophical clarity or I don't know what you might be waiting for, but you don't have to wait because you can open this door. Just what Jesus says, if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in. There is a handle on the door to a relationship with God and you can open it. Of course, once Jesus is in, life does change. Because once he's in, he will start moving the furniture around. And uh, he will start cleaning things up. And he will have different opinions to you. And he'll be right. That's how it works. So it's an incredible privilege to be able to open the door to Jesus and no longer to have that distance or uncertainty, to be confident that that danger of a separation that would last forever, to be confident that that danger has been removed, that you have been sought out and saved. All of those privileges, all of that joy and delight can be yours. And along with it, to have Jesus in your life, guiding, directing, changing, taking the initiative, transforming you. Those who are here who've experienced him coming in will tell you that's brilliant. Occasionally, like a sort of dose of smelling salts, and you think, whoa, wow. It's amazing what God wants. I didn't even know that kind of change was possible. But it's wonderful, a wonderful thing. So how do you open that door? Well, it's really, really simple. I'm going to put up some more words here. Words of a simple prayer. And these words are not magic. But they will do to open the door. And if you want to open the door to Jesus this morning, whether it's for the very first time or because you've just seen a draft push it a little bit more closed than you'd like it to be and you just want to get it open again. These words will do. I'm going to read through them, give a moment's pause, and then invite anyone who wishes to pray to pray with me and we'll pray together. Jesus, thank you for going to Bethlehem and now searching for me today. I ask you to come into my life and to make it how you want. Thank you for going to the cross and now saving me today. I ask you to forgive me where I have failed you and others and to fill me with your Holy Spirit. So I'm just going to have a moment's pause. Can I ask the band to come back up because we're going to have some more music in a few minutes, not straight away, but it'd be good to have you there. As they're coming up, Reflect on those words, and then in a moment, there'll be an opportunity to pray.
So I'm going to read these words through again, and you could pray them out loud with me if you wish, or you could pray them just in your own mind. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for going to Bethlehem and now searching for me today. I ask you to come into my life and to make it how you want. Thank you for going to the cross and now saving me today. I ask you to forgive me where I have failed you and others and to fill me with your Holy Spirit. Amen. Now, we're actually going to have a further um, moment of quiet now um, because as we've prayed that, God is going to be actively answering that prayer now. And I just want to leave a moment to acknowledge his coming. We've asked for him to come and to fill us with his spirit. So let's just allow for a moment and I'll pray, Father God, send your spirit now. Jesus, thank you that you came and said that you would give the Spirit without measure. And we invite you, Holy Spirit, to come. Come and have your way. Speak to us. Touch us, fill us, melt us. Reveal to us the Father's love. Have your way. Have your way, Holy Spirit.